everyone, and welcome to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to understand the British royal family through the best resource we have, the critically acclaimed Netflix series, The Crown. My name is Sam Chung, and today we'll be taking a close look at the events of Season 1, Episode 2, which, uh, as Winston says, Hyde Park Corner. Uh, so what really happened? We think all of it, but before we start, uh, we get too deep into this. I would like to introduce my two co-hosts first. Don't call this guy a savage, but he does love eating with his fingers. Mr. Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, how are you? I'm doing well. Excited to be here, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and next, someone who would always be down for a royal driving lesson with Birdie. Easy on the clutch, eyes down the road. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Sam? I'm doing good. We have quite an episode to talk about today, I think. Like, you know, if if the last episode was just kind of like easing our way into it, this one was... Payoff. This was a lot <laughs> packed it into was. a short amount of time. Before we start, as always, it bears mentioning that if you came here because you want to learn more about whether or not this was historically accurate, you have come to the wrong place because none of us are experts by any means. We know nothing about what actually happened. We are purely basing all of our opinions off what we saw on the screen, and that's as much as we want to know. We don't want to know anything else. Uh, yeah, I'll just say in certain cases, I I want to know even less than what's shown on the screen. <laughs> That's so that's so true. Um, all right, so let's just get a quick recap in of what we saw in season one, episode two. Carlin, you've got a recap for us, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so yeah, like we said, there's a lot that went down in this episode. To start, Philip and, and Elizabeth, they go to Africa. They're on a tour. Are they being politically correct in any way? No. Are they tone deaf <laughs> a little bit? Do they see some animals? Yes, they do. Incredible. And then over on Downing Street, we have Mr. Churchill being his wacky self. And what do you know? The rest of the party does not actually think that he's doing a good job. And they try to convince his right-hand man, Anthony Eaton, to, in effect, perform a coup. And will he do it? We don't know. But actually, he does attempt it. And we go over to Bertie, who is thinking that he is recovering from his cancer. But alas... <laughs> Right after Anthony tries to get him to a uh, switcheroo in the parliament, does not actually happen, and then Bertie dies. So Bertie out of the picture, very unfortunate. And then we get we get a little little swoop in with Margaret. She had a nice night with Bertie before everything went downhill, but after that, she's just real sad, clinging to Peter. We'll see where it goes from there. And then of course, our lovely Elizabeth then gets the news that she is to become queen. And that is where we leave off. Yeah, it was quite, as we said, quite a lot happened in this episode. But I think we have to start by just paying our final respects to Bertie, que uh, sorry, not Queen, King George VI. <laughs> because we knew we got the best of Bertie last episode. That was the Bertie episode. He makes it maybe 20 minutes in before we get to see him literally get embalmed. So, I, I don't know, closing thoughts on Bertie. I mean, he continues to, like, embody the, like, humanity. Like, he was, he got a shirtless scene, and it was, like, a really sad shirtless scene with the doctor. You know, he did good. It was very, like, I did enjoy the fact that we did get to see, like, a kind of happy moment with him. Because, like, when you got to see him, like, singing with Margaret, it was, like, the first time, at least it felt like the first time, we got to see the royals have, like, hobbies. <laughs> and it was very <laughs> nice, you know, for that 
little bit of time that we got like you kind of got a sense of like who he was as a person so you're like kind of feeling a little extra sad that he died so like good to them good for them for doing that for him got a good send-off yeah that particular scene really struck me because at first it looked like it was just the two of them and then they did like a slow pan and you realize that they're being watched by like two dozen people oh showman till the end incredible yeah right up till the end Ivan, any closing words for Birdie? No, no. I mean, uh, like we uh, discussed last week, uh, you know, he is the 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 heart and humanity of the royal family here in the early onset of the 1950s. Um, and I'm really glad that we did get to spend a little bit of time with him uh, leading up to what is now essentially the inciting incident of the series where, um, you know, his passing uh, will lead to uh, Elizabeth ascending to the throne, which we're about to uh, um, experience. Uh, But yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, seeing what he brought to the table and what he embodied in terms of the moral fiber um, and, you know, sageliness for lack of a better word um it was a really good way to be introduced uh, to the concept of the crown which you know i i have the sneaking suspicion will now be undone by but what we're gonna see of elizabeth <laughs> yeah so elizabeth in this episode is pretty much the last person to learn that her father has passed away that's because she is out in africa on what is being called the commonwealth tour but I think we can officially probably call it the racism tour of 1950-whatever. Not really a great look for any of them. I mean, we could also call it the colonialism tour, um, if if you want to get real. I I mean, yeah, there's really no positive spin on what they were doing uh, other than, you know, putting in FaceTime, um, you know, with the people who they have deemed to be their subjects. Um, I don't know. Uh, it was it was not a good look. Um, I, I'm actually kind of glad the king died so they could abandon that tour and just <laughs> stay to hell with it. Yeah, I mean, I will admit, like, Philip had it. He was skewing a little bit worse. Like I see what they were trying to do with like Elizabeth being able to identify a crown. Like I, I see their little their little symbolism nod there. But it was very difficult when like you're trying to be like Claire Foy, you goddess, when she's giving that speech at the very beginning, and you're just like, no, honey, no, please, please stop. Yeah, it was rough. She's calling them savages as everybody is listening, or rather, you know, what did you say? Nairobi is a savage place. Yeah. something like that it's it it doesn't come off well yeah I, I assume that has to be historically accurate then because like they're trying to make us like these people and then they just sort of have to throw that in they're like oh oh yes this is this is real this is what really happened i you know otherwise i don't know what they're doing here yeah and she's reading off index cards so i feel like we can assume that we we were introduced to martin in this episode who's kind of like liz and phil's right hand man I'm assuming Martin or somebody on his staff wrote this speech because it seems like she's just reading it, but she doesn't write her own speeches. I, I don't think she, I wouldn't think that she would. I was really confused about that scene because it all, like at some point, everybody around her, um, you know, as part of her delegation, um, uh, so to speak, wanted her to just wrap it up. And I don't know if that, uh, was indicative of the fact that she was somehow going off script or if everybody <laughs> realized that like staying on script actually ended up being a disaster unto itself. But it was pretty clear that like everybody sitting behind her wanted her to wrap up the speech. And I was confused about whether 
it, that meant that you know she was going rogue or or somehow they realized their mistake and and tone deafness in the speech that they had prepared for her it, it was a weird scene you know given elizabeth's characterization i would more believe that she is so good at following rules that she will follow them into like <laughs> the burning building of her like any situation like she'll she's like a fanatic for them note cards i want to see if that let's see if that stays yeah i'm trying to imagine what the what the queen off script would even look like and it's just like not computing i don't think she's capable of that oh my god i've never listened to a single christmas address but i'm sure that's also like <laughs> scripted i think but, so oh my god. Yeah. yeah i don't and, know and she's probably even rehearsed it too like i feel like every time she says happy christmas like she's been practicing in front of a mirror yeah in contrast, Philip seems to be off script ninety percent of the time. Oh. Um, and like and it, yeah. Yeah, what a rough episode for Philip. It, it, it he it wasn't him at his best, but amazingly enough, even two episodes in, it wasn't him at his worst either. <laughs> like like we saw him, uh, you know, we saw him set the bar pretty low uh, in the previous episode. Uh, whereas you know this time around, it's like, oh, I'm disappointed, but not surprised. No, for sure. He was just putting on, like, your racist uncle for this one. Like, I you know he has many dimensions, I guess. Um, he, he, I guess. No, you know what? Even that elephant scene where you're, like, you're thinking, like, oh, he's taking on his duty to, like, protect Elizabeth. That was the very end. He's like, didn't he say something like, I, I am the king? And it's like, sir, sir, that's <laughs> not going to happen. I just wish the elephant had, like, done some sort of, like, attack maneuver right then just to just to prove him wrong in that exact moment yeah i i think it's clear that even an act that philip would want everybody to see as selfless is really just an opportunity for him to glorify himself further yeah philip was so up and down this episode he comes out right off the bat you know racism and then later on after uh, Liz becomes the queen, they're like, she needs to go down the stairs first. And he's immediately upset about that. He's like, why? Um, and then he runs down the stairs after her. But for all of the negative things that we see about Philip, I feel like there were multiple scenes that ended with just like his brooding face. Like how many times did they end a scene with just like him staring at the camera? You're right. I don't know what was going on with that. I mean, I kind of like, I don't know if they were trying to make a point that like Elizabeth was like so stoic throughout most of the episode, but it felt like it, like he had a bigger moment of learning that, that Bertie <laughs> had died than Elizabeth. Like they didn't even show her face. And like, it was at these very like not close up shots, like these very far away shots. And I'm just kind of like squinting at the screen, like, but, but what's she doing? Why are you showing me so much Philip? And yet, despite all of this, still really good with the kids. Mm -hmm. Like that was his one silver lining is that all of the uh, children in Nairobi, he was a huge hit with. Um, and, and and that was really like, like two weeks in now, that's the only consolation prize that we seem to be able to give him. It's like, oh, he's terrible. He's, he's awful. He's selfish, but Hey, you know, good with the kids, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Philip's big moment of the episode has to be, as we alluded to before the elephant moment, they're going to a place called treetop to visit the wildlife. It's a, you know, place out in the remote jungle. And Liz and Phil are being led to treetop by a guide when they are met in the wilds by an elephant named Tembo. And the guide says, you guys go, I will distract the elephant. And Philip says, no, I will distract the elephant. 
And <laughs> guide, you take Liz and you run to Treetop. Why? Why would he do this? You know, I don't know. At least if I were Elizabeth, like she got her air and she got her spare. So <laughs> I guess he's just expendable at this point. <laughs> like you know, you don't really have to be like, no, no, Philip, not right now, sweetie. Your your theatrics might kill you. Like, like I said, she got what she wanted. You know, it, it's been a few years. Those kids are fine. <laughs> They're not going to die of some sudden illness like they would in the 1700s. But no, that was bizarre. I don't know. This man. This yeah. man. Yeah. And then, Ivan, as you said, he starts talking to the elephant. They go back and forth on who the real king is. It's just wild. Yeah. I wonder if it was historically accurate that the elephants were made of CGI, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then he has a weird moment at Treetop where they're getting served and he's very upset that people are serving him. He's like, why are you giving us things that are so fancy? <laughs> so mean to these people. Like, they probably were told very sternly what they had to give like for every meal and they're just trying to do their job. And there's this man just <laughs> eggs out of this basket. Yeah, I mean, for these for these servers, it's it's the shift of a lifetime, and, and they're not going to go off the book for Philip. Yeah. Um, one thing that is uh, stressed at the beginning of the episode is the idea that we really need to do this right because a lot of the other African nations are starting to desire independence, which I feel like for us as Americans, very understandable. But for these people, they're so excited to see her. They're like running, you know, alongside the car. They're all cheering for her. I mean, I'll be totally honest. Like, I, I love our independence as much as the next person. But like, if you had given me an opportunity to be like in close proximity to this young Elizabeth, like you'd probably take it. All right. So I want to shift gears a little bit because we have really, I feel like three main subplots going on. And one has got to be the Winston Churchill subplot. So Winston Churchill, I feel like we established we don't quite stand, although John Lithgow, we do. But in this episode, we see that not very many people really like this version of Winston Churchill anymore. I think it's funny. I genuinely think <laughs> it's so funny that like, yeah, because no one would think that they would hate this man so much. I mean, like on a personal level, like, sure. What what was he doing with that bathwater? That was his whole thing with the secretary. I don't know what vibes they're trying to go for, but like, why am I being subjected to um, Winston Churchill in the bath? I don't, I don't know. I, I cannot stop thinking about that scene. I don't know if it's in the best way possible. Can't stop. But yeah, no, <laughs> I was surprised by that just because I think that at least as an American, you only think of Winston Churchill in his like glory years. And so, number one, I didn't know he had any years after that. And so, <laughs> I guess it makes some amount of sense that, you know, he wasn't liked. But he was, they were like going old man coup on him. Like, sorry, you have reached your age limit. Like, you're out, sir. I don't care if you still technically have your mind and you could still kind of walk around. Like, we can't have it. So, this this is actually uh, probably one of the highlights of the episode for me. Because, yeah, his uh, party is in the process of staging. I, I mean, I don't know if it's really a coup so much as just uh, trying to sort of convince him to step down and 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 leave the party and the pm positions behind and at the head of it, the, all of this is his right hand man um uh, what's his name um anthony eden anthony eden right who at some point in the episode is described as being like 
a more youthful and energetic alternative to Winston. And this is like a gray haired, like post middle aged man being the face of youth in British politics in the 1950s. And to me, that, that was the laugh out loud moment of the episode. Yeah, I I apologize in advance to any hardcore Anthony Eden stands, but I looked at that man and what he was doing, and he just seemed like the human embodiment of the word twat. Like, everything that he was doing, I was just like, you are so weaselly, I don't trust you one bit. Yeah, I mean, the scene where he was presiding over the meeting um, in Winston's absence <laughs> and everybody was like, come on, bro, you know, step into the high chair. And he was like, I don't know, guys. I, I, I don't I don't know. Do it, man. All right. You convinced me. That was really bad. That was a very cringeworthy moment. Oh, my God. It, it definitely was. And you also have on the flip side, Anthony Eden going behind Winston Churchill's back to try and talk to King George and say, hey, you're the one person who can convince Winston Churchill to step down. And George wants no part of that. He's like, no, no, not doing that. That scene made me really angry, especially uh, in retrospect, because every other scene we uh, had with the king in this episode was kind of, you know, in, in the service of showing him in his final days, kind of leading up to his death. And then there was that scene, which was like a piece of parliamentary business that I I was just upset that one of our final moments with the king were being wasted with Anthony Eden. <laughs> The timing on this made me really wonder. Everything happened so perfectly within like a two-day time frame. I'm like, wow, what crazy timing. Yeah, and that's what killed him. He just had way too much <laughs> going on. It was, uh, it was very wild. And then Winston learns about the planned coup from his wife, who has been gossiping. I don't even know the chain of gossips that she was trying to describe, but... She's trying to tell him that, you know, Anthony Eden is plotting against you. And he's like, no, Anthony, no, he would never do that. Still my favorite character on the show so far. <laughs> like Winston's wife is so non, so no nonsense and, and just very, you know, down to earth and grounded and just just knows what time it is. I, I, I really like her. She's great. Yeah, I She's like her, great. too. She definitely had a, a good episode. Even the, She doesn't get a lot of lines, but what she does say, great moments for her. Um, the other subplot that we were given in this episode was that of the Princess Margaret and her star-crossed lover, Peter, I don't know his last name. It, all, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they even say his last name is just Peter. Just, just Peter. And... We get a little bit more of the forbidden romance between them, and I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about them. Well, the thing is, like, it was established in the first episode that, you know, they had this uh, forbidden romance going on that has been, you know, bubbling up for some time. But we haven't really gotten, like, a save the cat moment with them. Like, we, we don't know why we should be cheering for them, like, whether they truly have any chemistry um it, it, it's it's a very like bad case of like telling and not showing yeah the one thing i will say i think they showed well that's sort of like adjacent i think they gave margaret a lot more than she had in the first episode like that scene with her driving and the scene with her singing with her dad 
And then that one silent scene you have where Queen Mother is like running through the halls crying and being like followed by people. That was funny. That's a side note. But <laughs> oh, then, well, like... actually, sorry to interrupt, but like real quick, that moment, like what I was reading from that scene is that like everyone else in, I don't know, are we still in Buckingham Palace at this point? Um, I thought it was Sangringham. I don't really, is that a It's all the same to me. But um, everybody else in that uh, complex has been informed of the king's death except for Margaret. And now there's people frantically rushing past her where she, like, I mean, it's clear by the end of that scene that she understands what has happened. But was she really the only member of the royal family that nobody like directly informed i don't know i i did enjoy the like this you know the cinema of her like you see the realization on her face like um vanessa kirby got like a very good scene there i quite enjoy that (laughs) that is actually really funny to think about poor margaret oh my god she doesn't has she gotten a break yet has anything good happened to her (laughs) I can't recall, but going off on a tangent a little bit, since we touched upon this now, Queen Mother, great episode for her. Okay, wait, which one are we talking about now? Because there's like Queen Mother Elizabeth, and then there's Queen Mary, who is like as if- Queen Mary, older, older Queen Mother, grandmother queen. Queen and at the end of the and at the end of the episode, literally the Grim Reaper. (laughs) Okay, that was like ghoul just showing up. Oh my god. She was I so terrifying. Was, I yeah, swear. that Yeah, so jumping ahead to that final scene where Elizabeth <laughs> has has returned to London um with her colonial tour cut short. Um and she, you know, goes into the castle, um you know, uh, uh, presumably kind of pays her respects and says goodbye to her father, emerges out into the hallway where she is greeted by the um elderly queen mother who then, you know, bows to her. I mean, if there was ever a moment where I'm convinced that, like, this is all such bullshit, like, that was it. Like, getting what I presume is a 130-year-old woman to to get down <laughs> and bow to her 25-year-old great-granddaughter who is, you know, now about to play Castle. I would believe it if she had had servants, like, helping her down. She looked Just like death. She was like... I, she has her fancy goth oxygen machine. I, I'm sure it wasn't actually goth, but it, it was very goth looking. Oh, you? I thought that was like an inhaler. I was like, what is that? <laughs> it, was, think... it was a steampunk inhaler, yeah. <laughs> she just kept the Victorian era stuff. You know, that's how old she is. But genuinely, I think that I think she lived through like she remembers the Victorian era very well. I don't think she was queen then, but... She no, al- wait, that wouldn't make sense at all. No, she also gave us this line. Regina. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Carlin, you and I have offlined about, and we're not fans of that. <laughs> no, it. I can't unhear that. And, like, it kind of ruined the moment for me where, like, I know what the letter, like, it was a really powerful letter up until that moment. And then I'm just like, Elizabeth Vagina? <laughs> What's that? And it's like, I hope they never say that again. <laughs> But you know what? It gave us something to talk about. So it did. it did. Okay. Speaking of names, though, I was so fascinated by this idea that like you could replace your name with a fancier name. But like, who? Do, how do you decide if your name isn't fancy enough? Like, why was David a bad one? Like, David had to become Edward. And, like, Albert had to become George. But Elizabeth gets to stay Elizabeth. Like, who is there a name? Like, I, there's clearly a list of names that like you can name your royal baby. 
But like, is there a smaller <laughs> list of names that you can like be royal with? Yeah, I just want to know. I was, I was a little bit like, how is this the first time that she's ever thought about this? You know, that's, like that's what she I must have buy. seen this coming. Yeah, like I, I figure, you know, from the very moment that, um, you know, her father became king after his brother abdicated, that like that was probably something she would have had to have started considering for for the long term future. Um, and it, I, I think it was really weird because in that scene with her, Philip, and Martin, where they discuss the name, it, it was like the concept of like choosing her formal royal name was something that was just presented for her to her uh, for the first time in her life. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me at all. Like, she must have been thinking about this in advance. Yeah. They don't have but much I, to do in the 50s, like, besides <laughs> gossip about what their name might be. But I do like the idea that either she didn't think about it at all or had been thinking about it for so long and still was just like, <laughs> I'm going to be Elizabeth. I'm going to be Elizabeth. Granted, granted, I, I'm fully supportive of her just breaking that tradition for the rest of royal family history. Because it's, I, I mean, all like her, you know, children, you know, William and, and his son, George, like th those are all like the same predictable royalish names to begin with. Like, just have those be their formal names moving forward. Like if she was the one who kind of broke that wheel, like I'm all for it. Yeah, although King George the Seventh, I hope I live long enough to see that boy be king. <laughs> see, the Georges all have very interesting things happen to them. Let's go. What's little George going to go through? Could Elizabeth have chosen Margaret to be her queen name? Ooh. <laughs> that is so awful. Huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> see, I think if... I think Margaret, if Margaret was in Elizabeth's shoes, she probably would have made that choice. She would have become Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> wow i don't know margaret just has more margaret has more sass yeah she, she has would. some pettiness to her <laughs> for sure love it love it she's also like a horse girl like she has very clear horse girl energy but like the sexually liberated horse girl and i hope this continues she better just have a lot of scenes riding horses with like emotional music swelling in the background please yeah, I mean, sexually liberated horse girls need more representation <laughs> in media like she literally rode a horse to go make out with a guy like this is right after her dad died right. okay, yeah, so, so, so i wanted to talk about that it seems like <laughs> margaret's real tragedy like in that moment was not the fact that her father just passed away no but the, but the you know pending reality of peter being sent away and dismissed from his duties and no longer working uh you know in close proximity to the royal family it seemed like that was the thing that she was actually upset about yeah i mean i think she's like 22 20 something to early 20s so like i guess i can get where that came from but oh man they highlighted it they were like this this is what mark i mean yeah no in that moment that's definitely what she was thinking she has like a compartmentalized thing where she then gets really sad over her dad later and now that we're back on this note i feel like i can circle back around to it but one of the reason that I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about Margaret and Peter is that I'm all for true love. I love some good true love. But Peter, you got a wife and kids like elsewhere in the country. <laughs> like go go cool. see them, you know. He's an old man. I think he's <laughs> genuinely supposed to be old. <laughs> Do we have some like reverse Stockholm syndrome going on? I'm very confused by their relationship at times. I guess so. I don't know what Margaret's taste in men is like. I mean, it doesn't seem like either of these sisters has like impeccable taste. We're going to find out. 
And this really leads us to the other person we're introduced to in this episode, and that is a man named Tommy Lassels, who is, I guess, the very senior chief of staff kind of person. And Tommy Lassels, he cuts right to the chase with Peter. He's like, everybody sees what you're doing. You're not sneaky. You need to leave. And Peter's like, no. See, you can tell they're trying to make Tommy Lassels out to be some, like, asshole who's controlling everything. But, like, I think Tommy Lassels, I will not be surprised if he is correct on this one. Because, like I said, Peter's an old man. I don't like this. Uh, explain this to me, though. So, so Tommy, like like you said, Sam, he's kind of the, the, the chief of staff of the uh, royal family. So, you know, now that, uh, uh, you know... Elizabeth uh, is ascending um, her old, you know, right hand man, Martin has been uh, essentially dismissed. And now Tommy's going to jump in as he did in this episode. But if that's Tommy's job, why wasn't he performing that for the king? Why was it Peter in that position to begin with? That was a little bit unclear to me. Um, I feel like it's because Peter and Bertie were so close. That was kind of what I was gathering from it because Tommy alludes to that fact a lot. How, you know, you're only here because you're basically Birdie's best friend, um, but it's time for you to go home now. But uh, yeah, very strange that we didn't see this is the first time we saw Tommy Lassels and we didn't see him at all in uh, episode one. Although we didn't see Martin at all in episode one either. I, I thought we did see both of them in episode one, but it could be that like all these men just look the same to me. That could be it too. That's more likely what happened. I'm probably incorrect. I, I feel like Tommy Lassels, he did get like a formal introduction though, like cinema wise. So like, I believe Martin could have been in the background. I think Tommy, <laughs> they were just like saving him. They're like, he is going to be like a sweet part of this meal. Just wait for Tommy. It's just me or is Tommy like a 1950s Tom Selleck? Like, what a mustache on Tommy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That was the vibe that I got from uh, from Tommy Lassels. You know, you could, uh, you could switch the actor who plays Tommy with the actor who plays Anthony Eden for the next episode, and I wouldn't <laughs> notice. Oh, my God. Let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I really want. Oh, so I feel like we kind of glossed over. I don't know how. I know we talked about it, but I feel like we kind of glossed over Venetia. Um, Winston Churchill's assistant, who it's apparently her first day, and yet he's making her listen to him take a bath. See, honestly, this sounds like something that politicians would do. It's just very specific Winston-like flavor here. Again, I don't know why we had to see this man in the bath. Like, I don't know who, because I don't know if I believe that is true or not, because it seems like that's something that's so wacky that you could come up with it in the writer's room for like a humorous scene because they knew this was going to be such a sad episode. But <laughs> I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or not, because I was just like, I feel really bad for this girl. Like she got her nice skirt wet. So I, I thought that there was a, a somewhat wholesome wackiness to the whole situation just by sheer virtue of him reading the, uh, the reports from outside of the bathroom and having to kind of yell and project through a closed door. Um, I think, uh, Sam, in our last episode, you compared uh, Winston to a Rudy Giuliani type figure. <laughs> this gave and me major I feel like Giuliani vibes. Yeah, I feel like if it were Rudy Giuliani, like Venetia would be inside the bathroom with him. Whereas like in Winston's case, the wackiness comes from the fact that like, I'm going to make you yell from outside the bathroom where, you know, I'm, I'm currently, by the way, blasting top 40 music in here. So make sure you're <laughs> raising your voice. 
I did appreciate the um, the episode to episode continuity. Clearly, Winston paid attention in episode one when Birdie said, <clears throat> "There's no one better than a splash." <laughs> <laughs> but we also got this line from Winston as well. Did Jock give you my box? Which, out of context, sounds really weird. Even in context, I'm sure it wouldn't have been great. <laughs> Did Jock give you my box? Oh my god. <laughs> But, like, Venetia represents all of the assistants that are currently working now and have been working since the 50s. You think you're going in there, you think you're just going to transcribe some stuff on some typewriters. Maybe you get, like, a second of FaceTime with your boss, and then your boss is like, no, come into my bedroom, I'm going to be in a bath, you're going to be doing some personal work for me. We're gonna so so, <laughs> what what is Venetia's formal title? Is she just a is she like a secretary among many secretaries, or does she have a specific function within that group? I don't think it was specified. I think she's just a secretary. <laughs> yeah, that was what I got out of it. Because he he asked for her personally, but it sounded like just about anybody from that kind of like wider staff could have handled that errand. I agree. I think it may it might have just been because she was new. Like this was literally it seemed like her first day. Um real underreported story. Queen Liz was an army medic or army mechanic. Sorry, and she knows how to fix a Jeep. I really like that. That was the that was first great. time she did something where it was like, <laughs> "Oh, you have you have interests and knowledge." <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Well, it, it was the first time we've seen her demonstrate that she has a marketable skill set. Like if <laughs> this if this whole royalty thing doesn't work out for her, like she at least has something that she can, you know, use to become employable. I'm just yeah. picturing her now, like if she ever decides to retire and open up a body shop somewhere, you know, oh <laughs> she can In do Malta. it. In Malta. Yeah, that was a, that was a moment that kind of slipped by as well, but- she tells Philip, or she teases him, let's go back to Malta, just in time for her dad to die and that not to happen. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Oh, my God. Real unfortunate timing for everybody involved. Do you think she gets points for that, though? Do you think, like, Philip will remember the intention to do that, or or do you think he sees through that? Uh, I feel like he will forget that she said that real quick. Right. I, I, he might even remember it and just not care. Yeah. <laughs> He seems like he, uh, if he's going to get mad, he's going to get mad. It, what you may or may not have done in the past is of no value to him. But can you just imagine him like in his head just going like, God damn it. I thought I would at least have like 50 years to, you know, just be a prince or like a duke or whatever he is. And then it's like, Did no, you're going to get 50? like one of these. I thought, made up the number. He had another 50 years in him. I don't know how <laughs> old he was. I don't know. Maybe he could have lived to 90. I don't know. Look how old Queen Mary is. But no, whatever. A, a, more than one decade. And then right. it's like three years in. It's like, nah, sir, you're going to have like a young queen, like an exceptionally young queen. And he's just like, wow, my plan didn't work at all. <laughs> Last thing that I really have in my notes here is just the the process of informing everybody that the king is dead. Um, it's a real game of telephone, literally, but nobody can find Queen Elizabeth. How is this possible? How does nobody know <laughs> where she is gone? I don't know. <laughs> I would give it a solid 50-50 about being true. She's literally like next in line and no one can find her. It's a, it's a major security risk. But okay, so let, let me let me see if I can kind of piece this together. So 
when they call Nairobi to see where uh, the princess is, uh, you know, they call what, like the foreign affairs office there or like, you know, some local governance um, who will in turn say like, oh, she's off at this, uh, you know, resort um, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, um, I believe Sagana. Sagana. That's right. So. So I think it was really only known by the the staff uh, of Sagana and also, you know, Elizabeth's people that were residing there that she had, you know, gone off for whatever the night, the weekend to this kind of more remote treehouse. So I, 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 I understand like the disconnect i but i do think it's a little difficult to believe because it, it's it is such a huge security risk to not know the location of the next in line at any given moment i would imagine i, I guess they have that nine-year-old like charles child that, you know they, it's like yeah we we got someone's there we know well, where that well, one is well, well so let me okay so regardless of whether we actually know how the the rules of succession here work or not uh like so let's say that they can't find elizabeth like she's mia i don't know much about the royal family but i know enough to know that like george or sorry charles um would not immediately become king because he's too young um he has to like come of age first so like what happens then like what happens if elizabeth isn't around is it just margaret it, it would either be Margaret or Charles with Queen Mother, right? Like, wouldn't they just have the, like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's mom do the job? Because apparently they just don't want Margaret to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not concerned about, like, uh, f- for accuracy's sake, us knowing who it's going to be. I, I'm more concerned about, like, like, oh, man, who, like... Just for the sake of like ego, who who gets a crack at it? Like I, I want to make sure that the the crown is taken care of. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say here, like, is there any universe in which it's Philip? And I hope the answer is no. I don't think so. I think it's got to be nine year old Charles first. I think he'd have to kill like literally every living Windsor <laughs> before he gets to do it. Yeah, Philip would literally be the last person because it would be Charles and then Anne, then probably Margaret. And then it would probably be older queen mother, right? Or queen mother, old queen mother. I think they have to go through all the queen like, mothers. I feel like all the queen mothers would have to go before Philip, no? So Philip would have to kill all the Windsors, which like, are we putting that past him? I mean, we do know that his sisters are married to Nazis. So you never know. It was a long game. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that that whole I mean that whole sequence of like you know the king dying to eventually Elizabeth finding out was definitely like the most gripping and suspenseful part of the episode because there was mm-hmm. this like you know kind of frustration and 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 kind of inevitability to her finding out, but just the kind of staggered delays and the fact that she was like seemingly the last person in the circle um, to know um, that I, I thought that was really like you know kind of well photographed. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, whenever they have that big, like, swelling music, you know, that's those are the Emmy moments right there. Mm-hmm. For your consideration. For, yeah, definitely. Um, cool. I think that was all that I had at the moment. So is it time to uh, award another Kinky Crown Award? I think it might be. And I don't know. Carlin, you made it seem like it was going to be a runaway, but I think we have some good contenders this episode. Yeah, I actually have two contenders here, so I'm happy to hear what everyone has. Sure. I can throw out my contenders, and then we can see who uh, who we want to add to the list. Okay. So my first nominee has got to be Princess Margaret, just seeing Peter in the courtyard and telling her to kiss him, or sorry, telling him to kiss her. I think that's your pretty standard kinky moment. Nominee number two 
Winston Churchill calling Venetia to read to him in the tub and then asking her if Jock gave her his box. Um, kinky moment number three, Liz taping Phil as he sleeps nude. We got another back-to-back Phil sleeping nude scenes. But this time, Liz is like, oh, my husband's sleeping nude. Let me videotape him. Uh, and then my fourth uh, Kinky Crown nominee has got to be just one Kenyan guy kissing Liz's foot in slow motion as she leaves Sagana Lodge. Uh, am I missing any notable nominees? I, I would like to add one. Um, and I can't remember if this actually happened in the show or if it was just a fever dream. Uh, but uh, uh, Philip asking Elizabeth for a sloppy one. Oh, that definitely happened. Yeah. He was really yeah. horny in this episode. Yeah, I think. And 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 just the nature of that treehouse that they were in, like, didn't seem to lend itself to having too much privacy. No, no. Carlin, did I get both of the things that you were thinking about? I mean, I was also just thinking about that specific moment when the bathwater floods out from under the door and hits Venetia. <laughs> All right, so we can lump that in with the Winston Churchill, you know, having her read to him, etc. That's all one, one, one concept, one idea. Perfect. Okay. Um, I don't know, Ivan. Where do you want to go on this? Where, who, who wins the kinky crown? I, I, I'm sticking with with my nomination, the sloppy one. Okay. Uh, Carlin, where are you going on this? Oh my God. I mean, I would vote for the sloppy one, but I, I can't. The Winston one is just stuck in my head. I'm gonna have to stick with Winston. Oh man. See, I'm thinking, and this is unfortunate, because if I had known that this moment was coming in this episode, I probably would have voted differently in the prior episode, but I think it's got to be Liz taping Phil sleeping nude. And I'm wondering how we can settle this. Should I do some sort of random uh, random generator? Yeah, that, that seems good. We're going to do a random choice generator between those two options, or bet- sorry, between those three options, and that will give us our second Kinky Crown Award. It's tough because I feel like even though Philip has been kind of the subject of some of these Kinky Crown Awards, like he doesn't actually get the crown. Like in the prior Kinky Crown Award, it's got to go to Birdie, right, for waking him up while he's sleeping nude. And Philip is just kind of a bystander in that situation. And in this moment, he wouldn't get it. It would be Liz for taping him while he's sleeping naked. Yeah. So are you trying to say that Philip's the victim here in both instances? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Philip did ask for the the sex in the treehouse. That was him. He could potentially sweep this one. All right, so I'm going to add Liz taping Phil nude. Then we have uh, oh Treehouse the Winston sex. splash. Oh, I was going to do the Winston splash. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Sloppy. And then ones. we have a sloppy one. Let me share my screen so we're so we're all um, aware. So it's all oh, you honest. disabled, Carlin. You disabled participant screen sharing. You can now screen share. Oh. The- <laughs> All right, I'm now sharing. I don't have a three-sided die. All right, so I've 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 put them all into the random choice generator on separate lines. I feel like this is going to be. I thought there was going to be a wheel or something that would spin and there would be some suspense, but I feel like when I click the button, it's just going to give us the answer. Yeah. All right. Are we ready? Yes. And the winner of the Kinky Crown Award for season one, episode two, Hyde Park Corner, goes to Liz taping (laughs) Phil nude. <laughs> it's fair. So unfortunately, I, mean, I can't think of a better way to settle this. So, <laughs> yeah, Amazing. cool. So, I mean, that's twice. So bookmark that site. 
this site, random gener. I want to find a in the future. I want to find a better random choice generator that is more like a wheel. That way, you mm-hmm. know, there will be a little bit more suspense to it. But for mm-hmm. now, for now, this will do. Cool. All right. So that's pretty much the overview of season one, episode two. I really enjoyed this episode, even though there were some racist moments and and the like. But I thought it was a really fun episode to to watch, and it was there was a lot more going on than in episode one. It was a long episode, but I liked it. Yeah. I mean, re- really, I, I think these first two episodes combined are really kind of the opening chapter of the, of the show, because, yeah, like episode one was all, you know, kind of table setting. And then we get a lot of payoff here and it really kind of puts the wheels in motion. So, um, yeah, this this is kind of where where the adventure really begins now. Mm-hmm. Carlin, what did we learn in this episode? Well, we learned that if you want to get out of line, if you want a new king or queen, you just send them to the elephants. That's what I learned. Nice. Ivan, uh, what did we learn in this episode? Uh, that Winston is no Giuliani. That's a good one. I learned that you should always travel uh, with funeral clothes, clearly. So <laughs> <laughs> those, I think, are three three good lessons. Um, I don't know. Did we have any, like, who should be the ruler kind of things? This was kind I of. A, still, I think it's still too early. This wasn't a good episode for that, right? No. Yeah, it, it would be disrespectful. Fine. Oh, I guess it would be disrespectful. <laughs> Good point. All right, so that is a wrap on season one, episode two. Ivan, if people want to follow you on social, where can they do that? Uh, at Ivan Vukovic and Carlin. Um, Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, Instagram at Carlin underscore G E E. Did someone take your name on Instagram? No, I just thought that was more clever. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, although I don't really post anything on Instagram, so I would rather you not do that, at Sir Sam Chung. But if you want the latest on the podcast and everything that we are up to, the best thing to do is to follow us on Twitter at Crown Around Pod. Every week we decided we are going to put up a poll so that if you disagree with who we chose as the Kinky Crown Award winner, you can go. Make your voice heard. You made your voice very loudly heard in the previous episode where we now know that Winston Churchill slurping soup is actually the kinkiest thing that happened in episode one for whatever reason. I don't really understand, but okay. The people have spoken. This episode will be available on our website, www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowningaround. It's also available on any platform where podcasts are available. Coming up here at Paginated Media next Tuesday, we'll be recapping uh, Lizzie McGuire once again with a new episode of The Outfit Repeaters. And a week from today, Thursday, we'll be back here recapping Season 1, Episode 3 of The Crown. That is entitled Windsor, and we are very excited to be doing that. So until then, take it easy, and we'll see you next time. God save the Queen. God God, save the Queen. God save the Queen, yes.